Welcome to this Integrity Soils conversation, which we'll be sharing in video and podcast formats. My name's Kim Deans and I'm joined by Jules Matthews. We both work as regenerative agriculture coaches with the Integrity Soils team. I'm based in Australia and Jules is based in New Zealand. At Integrity Soils, we're a team of systems thinkers, coaches and educators, and we love working with innovative land managers to bring their soils back to life and create thriving, profitable and enjoyable businesses. And I'm really excited to talk with Jules today and record this conversation because we have so many cool chats at Integrity Source where we wish we'd hit record <laughs> so we could share them. We're actually doing that intentionally today, which has probably got us a bit out of our comfort zone in some ways, but it's still good. Um, but Jules is one of the most passionate people I think I've met in agriculture and her love of animals and the land shines through when you talk with Jules, as does her love of people. And I'm sure you'll discover that when we have this chat today. But we wanted to jump on and share some experiences Jules is having on a farm where she's working at the moment that are really illustrating this whole principle that regenerative agriculture does not mean we have to accept lower production in our system so yeah it's, and she's having that experience in relation to some lambs that she's been raising so I'd love you to tell us a bit more Jules and set the scene I guess all right thank you Kim and yeah it's it's always great to hang out with you and yeah and let's hope we can record something that's worth listening to today so just for those of you who don't know the other part of my life I also manage a farm in a, a place called Mungaroa Valley, which is just out of Wellington, the capital of New Zealand. So it's a wee farm that used to be a dairy farm, and then it was simply running beef cows. And what we did earlier the, last year was buy a, a, a line of ewes that were ready to lamb. And they lambed pretty much most of them in August and then a little bit into September. And they were a, a, a line of 360-odd Coopworth ewes that were in reasonable condition. So we brought them home and we did give them a quarantine drench when we brought them onto the farm. Uh, and then we set to doing some pretty good rotations with them. And weren't in bad health, um, but I'm a real advocate of using minerals for animals. And... One of my favorite people is Linus Pauling. And he said many, many years ago that every disease, every ailment, every sickness known to mankind can be traced to a mineral deficiency and or excess. So I, I tend to be someone who likes to ensure that my animals have really good access to free choice salt and to free choice minerals. And in an ideal world, that might be in... Um, minerals that are laid out in a cafeteria style thing with them being able to self-select what they want. But in the situation I walked into last year, the farm requires a lot of um, repairs and maintenance and a lot of time consuming work. So what we've done is just try and keep things really simple. So we did some pasture, did some soil tests and some pasture tissue analysis and figured out for the most part what was missing in these animals' diets. And then went about buying the minerals we thought were the right ones, with the basis being salt, of course, and then kelp and some humates and then trace minerals. So these ewes were fed minerals right up to lambing and then through lambing. 
And the way we went about doing our lambing, which is my favorite way to do it, is, is using a drift lambing method where you let the ewes that have not lambed move ahead to the next paddock and you leave the ewes that have lambed behind. And I like to leave them in their little family groups for a good week or so. And then slowly I sort of work them into um, larger family groups so that they learn to be in a, in a environment that's got a, um, a bigger population. And I often think about that um, having grown up in a little place called Huiroa. And I went to a school with 18 children. And then when I left primary school, I went to a high school of a thousand kids. And it was a little bit like a uh, culture shock for me. I hadn't been around that many people. And, and I went from being really confident in my environment to um, not having the same level of confidence. And I think it's the same for all animals. When we change their environment, we have to give them a bit of time to adjust. So that's an important thing for me. But during this, during lambing time, I found it really interesting as I would put the mineral out regularly because it rains a lot where I live. Um, and a lot of days I would go down and watch and the majority of animals at the mineral feeder were the lambs. And maybe for every dozen lambs that would come and go, there might be one ewe. Um, and I sort of found this quite interesting. And over time, we watched the lambs and we felt that they were doing pretty well. And being new to this farm, we hadn't yet set ourselves up with um, sheep yards and, and weigh scales and stuff. So we couldn't actually um, measure weight gain on these lambs. We had to just use our, our eye. And for the most part, they were doing pretty well. And then we got everything into a, one big mob and in a rotation. And they were doing quite long rotations. And, and the, the pasture length would be the equivalent in New Zealand of what people would think of as a really good dairy pasture. And, and yet we were grazing sheep on these pastures. So quite high levels of dry matter. Some of those pastures would have been 3,500 kgs of dry matter a hectare. And we were going in and, and allowing the ewes to take the best out of it and moving them on for quite a bit of the time, as much as twice a day, sometimes once a day. Anyway, the lambs were doing really well. And the spring was a, a cold, wet spring. And, and at one point, um, for those of you who raise sheep, you probably know that lambs will get what we call a bit of a bloom to them. It's almost like they have a little bit of an extra shine to their wool and they just, they just look like they're absolutely thriving. And these lambs had been doing really well. And at one point they sort of took a bit of a turn and lost that bloom. And instead of sort of rushing off and taking the next action, I thought, well, we'll check them for parasites. So we sent some fecal samples off. And their parasite levels were varied. I think we sent off 10, 10 different samples and, and some of them had um, egg counts of 500 per gram, some of them up to 2000. And at that point, it was a matter of looking, do we do them do a regular standard chemical drench or do we do nothing or do we perhaps try something um, herbal? So we bought um, a herbal drench and gave the lambs that. And it, it, it 
it was an interesting trial because it was only a few days later that once again those lambs had taken on that bloom. Now, in that time, we also got a bit of sunshine. So I'm not jumping to conclusions saying that it was the herbal drench. Um, but those lambs have had nothing since then but their daily pasture moves. They've been shorn. They haven't been drenched. And the proof is in the pudding. So we have lambs that are uh, five months old, 150 days. The best of them have been doing 400 grams a day. That's after you take off their birth weight, which is phenomenal growth for lambs. And the sort of middle cut of them are doing about 300 to 330 grams a day, which is also excellent performance. And then the bottom end of them, we've figured, are doing about 230 to 260 grams a day, which is what a lot of farmers are really happy with if their lambs are doing 200-odd grams a day. So um, I'm thrilled. You, you know, you're always thrilled when your stock do well, but I'm thrilled that here we have we have ewe lambs that are already 55 kgs, so easily able to be bred as hoggets. Um, they're still not weaned. They're still on mum. They're still, um, well, they've actually just been put up on the hill, so they're no longer having a daily shift at this point. But they know how to be in a big mob. They know how to, um, yeah, they know how to live in, in that environment and, and it's interesting, I noticed when I moved the stock, how well those ewes and lambs stay together, like they don't get mismothered. They've, they've had months of being rotated around and they've, they've learnt to live in, in sort of a high-density population and, and to do well. And I know not everyone um, strikes out with great success when they start mobbing up their sheep or their cattle for that matter, but more so with our sheep. So I think there's a there's a few little things we need to really pay attention to. And one that's always on the top of my list is, is minerals. Mm -hmm. um, so they can really digest and utilize the forage we are giving them. Anyway. Yeah, that's awesome, Jules. And a lot of people do struggle at lambing with rotational grazing, but it is possible. It's, it's not saying it won't work. It's like, how can this work? And, yeah. you know, really having that it's, animal welfare at, at the top of your list of priorities it, it does actually build like you, you just explained all the benefits you're seeing and less drenching and healthy stock and I think you were telling me the other day that the, when they were shorn they were so big um the shearers were complaining about the size of the lambs <laughs> <laughs> well well the that when they got done the the contractor looked at me and he said, this will be the first and last time we share these as lambs because, of course, oh. you pay you pay a different price for lambs than you do for ewes yeah. and, and a different price for, for hoggets as well. So he had, you know, I said, I'll come and share the ewes and the lambs. And, and he realised, well, actually, the lambs weren't really lambs anymore. But, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I guess when they lost their bloom it starts you questioning into what's going on doesn't it it leads you down this process of what do we do now do we revert back to something like a drench just the stock standard response or do we ask questions and look at other ways to work with this um yeah and having that confidence I guess isn't it to stay the course with what you're doing yeah and I think you know I mean I've been through the gambit of of all kinds of different farming and have certainly spent my 
fair share of time in the yards pouring drench down, you know, tens of thousands of lambs' throats. And and it's hard work, you know. It's usually that time of year where it's hot and dusty and it's hard work, it's stressful on your stock. That's often when lambs will end up picking up pneumonia and other issues because of, you know, the conditions and the dust and the stress. So I think the more we can, um, for want of a better term, I like the one woo back, you know, and go a little bit slower and spend a little bit more time just really drilling into what it is you're seeing. And, and as you've already said, it's the quality of those questions we ask. Um, and I think it's it's difficult when we've been on a, a program or a bit of a treadmill with our management and particularly in the sheep industry where many people have um, quite clear uh, structure with what they do and they start drenching at a certain point and then they drench every three or four weeks. And that's just standard practice. But when you look at the amount of time, the amount of uh, labor, the cost, the impact of um, time in the yards on your stock and also the, the cost of your drenches and, and whatnot, um, and then the long-term implications of, of um, drench resistance in your sheep, which is a huge problem here. I, I think there's some real merit and, and there's real opportunity for us to, to not throw those tools out of the toolbox. As I said, you know, I did a quarantine drench when we brought these ewes on farm. Um, but I think more and more we need to really look and ask the question, is what I'm about to do really necessary? And, and or can I, can I create a program, a health or a wellness program um, for my stock so that a lot of these management um, activities become redundant? Yeah, that's um, so true. Because we've been almost trained to see... Um, you know parasites in sheep as a we treat it like it's a deficiency of drenching yes. when it's actually not the drench that create like they're not we don't have parasites in a sheep because we haven't drenched them we have them because they're in the pasture and the conditions are such that those animals can't can't yeah. build up any natural resistance to them so yeah you're building that proactively then being rewarded by these amazingly healthy animals you know that's what that's the icing on the cake isn't it yeah yeah, and I think, you know, again, this is where you're um, grazing your, your, your pastures at a, at a taller rate or a higher rate so that those, those um, parasites and larvae that are in the grass are not, the animals aren't eating where they are. And I think, you know, that's another thing that's really surprised and delighted me this year is to be grazing ewes and lambs on feed that, even just a few years ago, I would have shaken my head and said, you know, what are you doing? That's not sheep feed. Um, but they've just, you know, they've gone like gangbusters. And it's it's really given me a whole lot more confidence to allow my pastures to, to, to rest for longer between grazing. Because I think the the concern that often comes up for a little, a lot of people is if I leave my pasture too long, will I suffer in the production arena? You know, will my stock lose production or, or not produce at the level I want them to? And, and I know it's, it's one year and it's one season, but once you've got one under your belt 
and and the sort of numbers that I've been talking about, I think it really does build your confidence. And and the biggest thing is being ready to respond the minute you see things aren't quite what they should be. Mm. Um, and, and really good observation, yeah, yeah, is the key. You know, getting out in the paddock and observing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that's where some of our testing comes in with with your pasture tissue tests and really understanding uh, on a seasonal level, what is it, what, what minerals are already available in the, in the forages and what minerals are not available or low in those forages that maybe we need to be um, giving the stock a little bit of a boost either through a free choice mineral or whether it's using an injectable or whatever it is we're doing, but ensuring that they have um, more than sufficient mineral to be able to 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 have the, to have good health, and I think from my own um, my own experience in life, I used to have a really bad back to the point that you know I basically couldn't turn over in bed at night, and I'd been to many chiropractors and acupuncturists and all sorts of other people. And, and, and at a time I found, a, not only found a really good um, chiropractor, but I started working with Ben Warren, who's a clinical nutritionist, and taking his supplements. And I'm very, very clear that the reason I healed my back was because my body then had a full complement of vitamins and minerals. And I, I don't know what it had been lacking in, but I believe it had been lacking in something and, and couldn't heal. So, you know, 10 years down the road, I don't have a back problem, That's which pretty is pretty cool. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. And it all comes back to soil health, doesn't it? Because our food is a reflection of that. So, yes. you know, and that's the same with those lambs food is a reflection of that. So if you can, you know, in that early stage, um, focus on, on meeting their needs, then that's going to help support the whole system. And that's, I think what your story also highlighted to me is when you're starting out on a, on a block of land, that's often got a lot of, of that work to do in setting up and not having everything as you want it, you know, prioritizing first things first, what would be your suggestion having just been through that Jules, if the people who've got a new block that might be a bit run down, might not have everything they need yet, where was the first place you guys focused in getting the, the animals sort of, going to a good level while everything else was happening at the same time? Um, well, I think that comes back to my free choice minerals. And, and like I said, I did do those pasture tests, so I knew pretty much what, what was missing and what was adequate. But I'm also um, really happy to go with a fairly generic thing. And I, I'm a big advocate of animals having salt available to them at all times. And I think kelp is um it people often say it's really expensive but it one you can cut the intake by adding salt into it so animals don't gorge on it but I bought a ton of um kelp and I've still got half a ton left and that's eight nine months later um and the animals get access to it on a daily basis so I is it expensive? No, most of that kelp has gone through those animals and has now been recycled through the pasture. So it's it's a good way to get um, minerals spread around the farm, I think, through your animals. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, if 
keep your focus on that. I mean, Jackie and I work on this place together and it's the first thing when I've been away, I ask is, have you been doing the minerals? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's, you know, that's paramount for me. Yeah. Make, you know sure, the, make no, sure they've got fresh water is the other one. Yeah. Yes. And clean water, which yeah. is a big issue in Australia particularly. Yeah. Um, and it is in New Zealand too, you know, we, yeah. even people who have good trough systems often forget to clean them out mm. and, you know, you'll have cows that stand in them and, and defecate in them and then somebody else is supposed to come along and drink that water and, and I'm, I'm really clear that, you know, I should be able to walk out into the paddock and put my head in the trough and take a slurp, yeah. ideally. Totally. And it's, you know, it's not only bad for, it's bad for their health. So it's obviously going to affect production. So, yeah. you know, having clean water should be a real priority. And having those minerals so they can get what they need um, is also really important. And I guess a lot of people, when they start changing the way they manage their animals, grazing and minerals, it's just having the confidence to give it a go and stay the course, but keep observing and keep questioning I guess and you've got tools like worm counts to fall back on if you're not sure what's happening and you know if you were sort of starting out and learning this system what do you think is the most important thing for people to take on board from our conversation Jules to keep them staying the course but you know gain a bit of confidence I guess in this approach. I think your your mention of doing um, fecal testing is, is a really good one so sort of know where things are at um, so any testing you do lets you know where you're at at a given point in time, whether it's your forage test or your fecal test. And then you can track that over time. And I think the other thing is really monitoring your animal's health. And, and these sheep, when they came to us, were pretty good, but they very quickly developed a lot of feet problems. So they'd come from bulls, which is you know fairly sandy country and not so wet to here, which is quite um, more clay country and, and really wet, like really wet, <laughs> it's like it rains every day. Wow. And, and I, I know from my past experiences that both zinc and copper, copper are really paramount for, um, for hoof, hoof health. <laughs> it's a tongue twister. Yeah. It? it is. And, and so I'm very quick when I start seeing those problems to make sure that I get those minerals into their um, loose mineral mix. And again, err on the side of caution, maybe talk to your vet um, or give me a call. I'm always happy to talk to people about that. But I think you, you, you start and you monitor yeah. and then you keep monitoring and you keep measuring. And that is what will build your confidence and using those to go, um, you know, globes in the front of our face. Yeah. And the monitoring becomes more valuable the more you do it because then you've got more, because you know, often don't experience exactly the same situation twice in a farming system because it's so complex and everything's shifting. But the more you gain confidence in things and how they work, the more easy it gets to make decisions. And, and moving animals with good grazing management means you're out with them regularly. You're seeing them, you're interacting with them and you're noticing things earlier than perhaps yes. if you just leave them in a paddock and don't check them for a little bit. 
it, you know. So I think that's the other part of good grazing management is that you're out there all the time with those yeah. animals. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, you you absolutely catch those things early. And and you know, fly strike is is a problem we tend to have in New Zealand. And and interestingly enough, early on we had some we suddenly got some hot weather and we got a, f- a few animals getting a little bit of fly strike and the same thing you can rush off and treat them chemically or you can um, just sort of woo back a little bit and and the use of essential oils is really effective um, particularly tea tree oil or eucalyptus or even lavender oil and you know the few that we had I didn't have quite what I needed in my repertoire so I just went to the bathroom cupboard and pulled out a bit of lavender oil and a bit of something else I found and you mix it up in a bottle and away you go. But, you know, I think the Australians are really good at using some of those essential oils for things like fly strike. And my understanding is a 1% solution of tea tree oil will give you about six weeks effective um, protection okay. against, against fly and sheep, which is, you know, I mean, the, the cost of that alone in New Zealand, I don't know what it is, but for a lot of farms, it's a, it's a, it's another big expenditure, and it's also another big impact insofar as the need to handle your stock, mm. um, drink, yeah. jet your stock, and and treat them and do all that. So, the and more we, we can avoid those problems, the better off we are. We find good results with sulfur in the free choice lick to help yes. reduce the fly strike and reduce para, like external parasites like lice or even fleas on dogs, a little bit of sulfur in their food, like amazing yep. what you can do. Um, yeah, to kind of prevent those problems before they happen. And you sometimes are going to get really wet weather in summer and have fly issues. But we, um, when we were running the dorpers, rarely had an issue because we had a lot of sulfur in the licks and, yep. and, and they were dorpers, so more withstanding the merinos. But, yeah, just... Um, always constantly questioning what nutritional support do we need yeah, yeah. and that you know you mentioned dogs and and I'm a mm. um, pretty big lover of my dogs and and I do the same with them and I've done it for decades now but but my dogs get a combination of kelp and um, crushed linseed and um, brewer's yeast and a few other things like that and I mix it in with their kibble or sprinkle it on their meat or whatever but they get that regularly and and I never have to treat my dogs for fleas or n- none of that and I think because I've got such rich um, oils in their coat and and they're really really healthy so they're again they've got that resilience yeah, no, I swear by the sulfur. When I first met Angus, he was onto that trick and I wasn't. My dogs were covered in fleas and the minute they started having the sulfur, fleas were gone. Yeah. And I had never been able to get keep fleas off the dogs until that. Yeah. And it was that simple. And, yeah, it's so. and those other things you're doing even better, like just that whole, it's creating that whole system health, isn't it, whether it be yeah. us or animals and our, our soil. We always get rewarded. We do. And I think what you just said is really important too, because what it points to is once we have a knowing, once we have an understanding of something, we really, that's when our confidence really grows. So, you know, I have a real understanding of fleas and dogs and health and all that sort of stuff. So I'm really confident in my actions. And I think one of the things with this, this whole sort of regenerative movement is we really need to help one another build our understanding and build our confidence rather than 
um, just changing out our products and accepting what the person who comes down the driveway is going to sell you. So, yeah, I think it's it's paramount that our farmers really get their hands around this stuff and and are at the source of why they're doing what they're doing and when they're doing it, rather than having a prescriptive um, management strategy from from outside the gate. Yeah, that's so true, Jules, because our confidence is our biggest stumbling block in in changing our system to be more regenerative is confidence. And that comes from, you know, getting out of our comfort zone a little bit, seeking help even can make people uncomfortable. So, you know, it's asking for help and questioning into things and that monitoring is pivotal. And when we say monitoring, we're not trying to keep you so busy monitoring, you won't get any work done. It's monitoring the right things and then knowing what to look for so that you've got that early warning system. And yeah. you know that's that can be different for every farmer, but having some set it's sort of sort of guideposts like that would be the key, wouldn't it? To yes. be taking yeah. this on board, yeah. yeah. And 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 getting it's okay to be uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. I uh, I question myself all the time, and I'll say to Jackie, "Oh, I hope we've got this one right." Yeah. And you don't know until you've done it. No. And, you know, talking to people like Hamish Belsky is always really great because, you know, Hamish will readily admit, you know, I did this and it worked or I did this and it didn't work, but this is what I learned from it. And, and it's that kind of ability to be okay in the, in, in the sort of the unknown Um, And I think we've created farming with a lot of structure around it and people have um, really clear actions that they take. And now a lot of the sort of structure seems to be thrown out or changing with with a regenerative approach. And what comes with that is a real degree of of discomfort and and a challenge to our confidence. So again, I think we've just got to be really kind to ourselves and others and and know that that those challenges are, are presenting themselves. That's, yes, so true, Jules. And it is like, we can't ever, we have to be comfortable with this and a degree of not knowing in because we're dealing with nature and nature is a complex system so that's part and that is uncomfortable when we've been told there's a one way one right way (laughs) and now we're throwing that out and trying to find our own right way so yeah and being really self-compassionate in the process because that's the key isn't it you've got to be able to um, be monitoring for feedback in the system and knowing that each decision could go in a couple of different ways but if you're out there and observing and questioning into it and, and asking for help when you need it um yeah then yeah. you're on the right track this has been such a great chat you never know where yeah. we're going to go do you we're getting very philosophical <laughs> <laughs> as we do <laughs> but yes, it's probably indeed. a good time to probably wrap it up and I, I guess um you know if anyone's this is resonating with you and you've enjoyed our conversation feel free to share it with others that might benefit as well and and um yeah i'm sure thanks so much jules for the chat i always learn heaps when i talk with jules and um, well it's it's great it's always great spending time with you kim and to be able to share the time we spend together with others is just an added bonus so thank you very very much thanks so much jules all right (laughs) bye bye now